0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks, and Father, we're recording this here uh, the first Friday of Lent, and for our individual parish, we had a fish fry on Ash Wednesday, as you know many parishes do throughout the, uh, the the United States and probably throughout the world. And one of the things that that we were lucky enough to have was some media exposure, and one of the things that came across as kind of an underlying theme of the way that the media and the local news was covering it was kind of like, oh, churches kind of still, still exist. And I kind of wanted to use this episode as a thought that's been gnawing on me for a while. And I've been really struggling with a nice way to say it. So I'm just going to say it with where it's currently at in my head, which is the simple fact COVID did not kill God period. And there's this perception out there that, that, you know, we don't need to have God in our lives. We we don't need to be involved in church or anything like that. And COVID is just the latest excuse for it. And I just wanted to emphasize that simple fact that COVID did not kill God and cannot kill God for a lot of obvious uh, reasons. But even if you take the, the spirituality out of it, God is love. So COVID did not remove love from this world. We still have the capacity to love and to grow. And there was actually some great parts of COVID that did teach us how to do that. So Father, I know that that's not exactly the happiest starting topic as far as an episode's concerned. But that's just been something that's been gnawing on me. This perception that, that COVID killed God and that we don't need to have religion in our lives anymore. Look, we just went a whole year of COVID and didn't go to church. We don't need this anymore. That's an old idea. And I wanted to, uh, to use an episode here to just kind of articulate that that's wrong and wrong thinking and and, and something that, that should not be encouraged.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of uh, unhelpful things have happened in COVID and, with the intention of responding to the uncertainties of COVID and trying to be uh, prudent with people's health, you know, there's always a little bit of a balance between preserving this life and embracing the next life. Uh, One can always make an excuse why it's not a good time to be martyred. (laughs) And at the same time, one should not go and, uh, volunteer for martyrdom. You know, the, the early church taught about that because there were people who sort of presented themselves to the emperor to be martyred. And the early church, the, you know, uh, the decision was that's, that's, that's suicide. That's not martyrdom. Uh, we, can't ent- we can't go out and, and try to, to get martyred, try to try to kill ourselves. So there's always this a little bit of a tension between preserving this life and then, and, and then being willing to give this life away for the sake of God, because we know that God is more important than this life. And so walking that line is challenging just for ourselves. And personal behavior during the pandemic demonstrated uh, different things. There were people who heroically went out to serve. There were some priests who died giving sacraments, caught COVID and died giving sacraments. The Holy Father celebrated some of those occasions, uh, noting those priests and commending them for their heroism. And so when one decides, one is moved by love, by God, to even sacrifice this life for the sake of him, for the sake of God, and, and, uh, and being faithful to him, you know that's that's what we call martyrdom, and that's that's a beautiful thing. That's the highest expression of love. No greater love is there than this that a man lay down his life for his friend. so but it's it's attention. It's not to say that anybody or everybody is obligated to do that either. Uh, nobody is obligated to put their life at risk for the sake of another. Love always has to be free. It can't be an obligation. It's not a moral obligation. And so, then the other side of the tension is: well, we have a a right and a and a duty to foster this life. We're, you know, to take it to the extreme, saying like, well, I just you know eat McDonald's every day because this life doesn't matter and uh, my my body doesn't matter and things like that. Well, again, that's suicide. I mean, that's, you know, that's uh, being negligent with what God has entrusted to us. And so we can't do that. We need to be careful about it, but not to the point that we sacrifice other things. So anyway, there's a there's a balance of competing goods, which do have some hierarchical arrangement. Ultimately, uh, eternity and love are greater goods than uh, physical health and this life. So there is an arrangement, and yet you know we we have to hold those things in balance. And at the beginning of COVID. The bishops were in a a challenging position because their responsibility is for their flock's spiritual welfare, first of all, but also to be um, careful and, and good stewards of their physical welfare. And there's always a little bit of attention in the church. For example, with fasting, we want to call people to do Lenten penance and to give themselves. We want to set a standard that challenges people. But we also want to give the strong something to strive for, but not so much that it drives the weak away. And uh, we have to be careful. You know, there are people who also struggle with eating disorders. And if we just laid on this hard dogmatic universal line and shamed people who didn't fast or something, uh, you know, then we might drive people to self-destruction and and really play into uh, things, struggles that they already have. So the church is always playing this trying to ride this tension of giving the strong something to strive for and yet not driving the weak away. And so trying to establish laws and govern the the household of the church in such a way that um, people's health and safety can be cared for, not as an idol, not as the ultimate good, but as an intermediate good in also providing the sacraments. And so the bishops, uh, you know, again, not knowing anything about COVID, when we were all in a, quite a bit of confusion exactly a year ago, it's amazing it's been that long, uh, and things were starting to get crazy in Italy, and people were starting to die, and hospitals were getting overcrowded, and there were a lot of horror stories happening. The bishop said, well, you know, it would be better for us to say, uh, you know, you don't need to come to Sunday Mass for now for the sake of, uh, protecting your health. Now, that's already its own interesting thing because we're never obligated to come to Sunday Mass if, if we're not physically able to or if it's some kind of physical danger. Uh, now, that doesn't prevent people in a more heroic way who are called to that to, uh, to come, you know. So, uh, if it's a 20 feet of snow outside now, sometimes we've canceled Mass on those occasions because we don't want people try risking their lives and other people's lives in order to come to Mass when, you know, for a weekend or whatever, we can we can pray at home, we can do something else. Again, there's a, you know, we don't want to say the Mass isn't that important. That shouldn't be the message that's communicated. Um, but the the uh, obligation to attend Mass on Sunday is not actually the commandment. The commandment is to keep the Lord's Day holy. That's the ultimate importance, and that's not dispensable. The bishops can't tell us, "You, you don't have to keep Sundays holy anymore. That's God's commandment to us. That's not the bishop's commandment. What the church has decided is, normally speaking, all things being equal, the only way to keep Sunday holy is at least to come to Mass, that that's the a basic and necessary component of fulfilling that commandment, that, that third commandment. So, uh, in, in order to fulfill that commandment, normally we go to Mass, the bishops say, Well, when there are other competing goods, when your safety, other people's safety is at risk, there are times that we can fulfill that commandment in a different way. And so they made that decision uh, to, to lift the obligation. And then they took a further step, knowing that there were people who would call it heroism, but might actually be reckless, and that could contribute to the spread of the pandemic and could lead to more loss of life, and then there would be a certain responsibility laid on the bishops to... Uh, you know, they would come to church anyway and they would spread the disease anyway and they would not take this seriously. And we didn't have a mindset about it and we wouldn't, you know, have the right protections and we didn't know ways to protect ourselves. We didn't know how the virus spread, all these kinds of things. So the bishops made the decision not to allow, you know, not to have public masses. And again, for for a good and sincere reason. I mean, I believe they prayed about that. I believe that they were trying to to, to carry out God's will in that and a temporary suspension of these things. But back to your point, it sends all kinds of weird messages like, oh, you can just cancel the sacraments. Oh, the bishops can just cancel the sacraments. Oh, the bishops can just like, you know, take everything away from us. And now uh, I know some people who tend to a little bit of uh, scrupulosity or anxiety anyway, who start to think, you know, I, I need these sacraments, and, and now I don't have any guarantee that I'm going to receive them, which is a, a rightful thing to feel. In canon law, the faithful have a right to the sacraments at appropriate times. You can't demand that I celebrate Mass at one in the morning, you know, uh, but the faithful have a right to the sacraments at appropriate times. And, and so the feeling that I have a right to this, the feeling that it's not the bishop's church, it's your church, Joe, it's your church people who are listening. And so you you have a right to these things. Now, you know, the bishops, the priests are the ones who carry out a necessary role in providing the sacraments. But it's not just like, I feel like it, I don't feel like it, I can just cancel it. But we started to get that sense of things like, well, how how are are you keeping me away? How are you just taking this away? How is this? What's happening here? Does it not matter at all? Is it just as good to watch it on a live stream? Does it and it created a lot, of, a lot of confusion, a lot of concern, a lot of mixed, mixed messages. And to the point that, you know, your very blunt statements, Joe, COVID killed God. Uh, you know, COVID killed the church. COVID ended our need for things. You know, it's like, well, no, no, it didn't. <laughs> and, and we tried to communicate even during the worst period when churches were closed God is still with you. You know, God has not left you. And again, the commandments still need to be carried out. You still need to keep Sunday holy in lieu of coming to mass. um, One way to keep the Sunday holy would be watching mass and praying at home or having a liturgy of the word at home or just spending more time in prayer, doing other corporal works of mercy, spending time together as a family, tried to provide some of those things. I think you and I even talked about those things at one point. So you know there are other ways that that we try to reemphasize god is not dead the church is not over the sacraments are not done everything is not relative uh but it's it's hard to you know we've we've sort of lived in that space and now keeping the obligation uh lifted dispensed has kept us in that space that somebody told me the other day they uh Asked a friend of theirs, they said, I didn't see you at church today. And their friend said, No, we had guests from out of town. So we took the online option. And so that which was only out of necessity became now a legitimate option, as if in person and online were of equal value. And that message is terrible. And we've, again, there's no, there's never, nobody from the church, no bishop or priest has ever said that. But that's the impression that people get, and understandably, those are the kinds of messages that are communicated. So no, it's not the same. Being in, pres- being in person is, you know, touching God with your fingers, with your mouth, with seeing Him, with your eyes uh, and in, in front of you, not just a reproduction of Him and by through electrons. Uh, all of that matters. And we need that. We need that individually for our relationship with him. We need that. We need a community of of believers for our salvation. And the community of believers needs to gather in person in order to be strong enough to be a living presence of Christ in the world. So these these are not options. They're necessities for us to come back to. And as it was at any other time, if there are grave reasons that people can't attend church, and there are people who are really vulnerable and, you know, need to take care of their health, and there's nothing wrong with that, and there's no shame around that. But if there are grave reasons, you don't need to dispense from the obligation. You're already dispensed from the obligation. It never compelled people when there are grave reasons not to attend. But I think we need to look at that in our own hearts. What's keeping us away?
0: And when you look at the term of grave reasons it's a very likelihood that physical harm will come to you and i know that or at least to the best of my knowledge um at at least in the diocese of pittsburgh i believe nationwide there hasn't been a direct link of someone getting covid from being at a church Um, which if you think about that statement is remarkable i do know that in the very beginning and probably throughout it there was aggressive attempts to try to prove that people were getting COVID by going to churches and they just didn't come to pass when he actually looked at reality so in terms of the grave reason i i didn't i'm not really seeing that it's there and again i had it like i i know that it's not awesome but it didn't i didn't get it through a church i didn't get it by going to mass or anything like that and to the, the second point to what you said there is that the the being element of a community isn't just benefiting you by being at the mass. It's benefiting everyone else that's there. And I would like to use a specific example. If you think of a choir, um, if there's only two or three people up there, you can kind of tell the individual voices. And therefore, you can tell whenever there's a, a dip in quality. But when you see a full-blown, fully stocked chorus, if you will, you can't tell any of the bottoms. There's just a constant high point that you don't hear any of the mistakes. It's just the volume and the capacity overshadows the negativity. And to a certain extent, that's what I've always thought in the mass, whenever they say, God, look at our faith, not at our, I said that backwards, um, but, but not at the sins, but upon our faith. And I think of that as being the the same core concept. The more of us that are there, you hear the high points. You don't hear all the lows and each person's imperfections so that I bring this up because you can't do that when you're online in your living room. You can only do that when you're standing next to someone
1: Mm -hmm. and,
0: that is an element that you're not just depriving yourself, but you're depriving all of those around you who would be there with you. And again, you know, with there being no recorded instance of COVID being transferred within churches, it it makes me wonder how much longer we're going to have to have this tension existing because um, we're getting to the point even in the state of Pennsylvania, which has been dramatically over the top and criticized in a lot of different ways that are liftings from a, a governmental standpoint or around the corner. And I think that, it, I know that each individual bishop kind of has a choice in the matter. And obviously I can't tell the bishop what to do. And even if I could, he wouldn't necessarily listen to me. Um, but I would hope that, that when, as individuals, we can control where we physically go. And right now, we still can go into the buildings. And I would hope that we begin to make a concerted effort to return to Mass. And we begin in, in the beginning of this, you mentioned things to do for penance during Lent and how they can be tied to, to make the strong stronger, but not to, to cast down the weak and make their lives harder. I was going off of something you said in, in a previous episode where you were talking about taking cold showers and fasting. And, you know, there's some things about the church that people discount, but it works. And it takes science sometimes a long time to to catch up. And this is just a tidbit I'd read since then. And it was about particularly fasting. There was a study that was done just as many individuals as they could. I believe there was 20,000 in the study. Of all different walks of life, and they were looking at cancer rates. And what they found was that there was a specific set of individuals who were less likely to have cancer. And it had nothing to do with blood pressure, blood types, even age. It had to do with did they fast for three days straight during a year? And there was a majority of people who done that during the tritium, you know, don't eat after mass. On Holy Thursday and don't eat until you go to mass Easter Sunday and not to get in all the science behind it but long story short is cells that cause cancer in your body die off fastest during a during a fast and what your body actually was purging itself as you were going through this not fasting and not eating and dealing with a physical struggle God was purifying you from within um, on a biological level and To me, that's just something that we look at sometimes about what the church calls us to do and go, oh, I don't need that. Or, oh, that's just over the top. We don't really need to follow that. We'll listen to the parts we want to listen to. You know, we'll go online because that's easier. And in reality, that there's so many extra benefits that we haven't quantified by following the faith. And I know that wasn't exactly in line with the topic today, but that's a a study that I read that just kind of came to me and I felt it came to me that, I should share it with with the mm-hmm. rest of us. Um and obviously it wasn't applicable to all cancers, but a very healthy percentage above 75% of the ones tested and it it's remarkable how that how that works. So, um you know, just that type of example that doing penance not just helps yourself overcome something, but it helps yourself in many capacities and listening to the teachings of the church are that way. So, You know, someone out there, you know, part of penance is overcoming a fear or an anxiety or a desire to do something that you shouldn't. And for some people out there, there's an anxiety about being with people again or going to church as as a particular example. And that could be something to, to attempt to overcome. And, you know, I think the spot that comes to my mind, this being Lent, is attend the Stations of the Cross on a Friday night. You know, in general, those have less people there than a traditional mass, so you can kind of ease yourself back into to being with population and still being in the presence of a of ultimately the passion. So that gives that kind of gives me as a thought of something that people could do moving forward throughout this Lenten season to be able to start coming closer to church, to start coming back and helping each other, and and that nature of returning. Again, we'll not just help yourselves, but we'll help those around you who are also there. So I don't want to eat up all the time as we conclude this episode. I just had those thoughts that I felt I needed to share. Great, perfect. Well, then, with that being said, we will we will conclude the, this episode here today. Uh, we, we do thank everyone for for being with us here, and we will be with you again next week.